Our scripture text this morning is from 1 John chapter 4, verses 10, 18, and 19, and John chapter 8, verses 2 through 11. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. We love because he first loved us. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and began to teach them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and making her stand before all of them, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They said this to test him, so that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let anyone among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And once again he bent down and wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they went away, one by one, beginning with the elders. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus straightened up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, sir. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go your way, and from now on do not sin again. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be to God. Thank you, Julie. Good morning and welcome. Today is the third sermon in a series based on Disney's Pixar movies. If you've not been here or been in and out over the summer, we chose five. The first one was The Incredibles. Last week we had balloons around this door because we talked about the movie Up. All of these connected to scripture, which has just been read a few minutes ago. This morning, I'd like for us to parallel the story of Monsters, Inc., in the text that's just read for you. If you don't know the story, let me give you a quick synopsis. In the story, we meet Sully, who is a big old, tall, hairy, a monster. He's purple and green. He's got a long tail and spikes on it. And Mike Wadowski. Mike is this little bitty character. He's round. He's got two feet and one big eye in the middle. Um, John Goodman is the voice of Sully. And Billy Crystal is the voice of Mike Wadowski. They work for a factory called Monsters, Inc. The monsters are employed to go and visit the bedrooms of children, to open the door and to go inside and scare the bejesus out of children, causing them to have blood-curdling screams. And the screams are transformed into energy which power the power company in Montropolis. And so every monster in Montropolis lives based on the fear of children. However, a little child sneaks in the door and follows Sully back into the Monsters, Inc. factory. What you, if you don't know, what you need to know is that human children make monsters scared, not the other way around. And so the whole movie plot revolves around 
Sully and Mike trying to get the little girl that Sully calls Boo back to her bedroom so she can be safe again. Now, there are villains in this movie like there are every other movie. Uh, Randall is an evil villain, and Mr. Waternoose is an evil villain, and they try to trap Sully and Mike Wadowski and Boo so that they can control them. What happens in the movie that's important is that Sully discovers this virtue that's taught and everything about Metropolis is based on is that fear is important. He discovers it's a lie. He discovers that love is more powerful. In fact, it's ten times more powerful than a child's scream out of fear. I think that's a powerful word for us today. Our culture is filled with fear. Since 9-11, the word terror has no more meaning than it ever had before. And so this sermon is a way for us to address this from Scripture and to be able to embrace our lives more fully with the confidence that God's love offers us. Now, I don't know about you, but growing up, in my generation, one of the worst things you could say to a guy or a little boy was, you're a scaredy cat, aren't you? You're a fraidy cat. Or how many of us guys, and maybe you girls, have our masculinity challenged so that we wouldn't be called a chicken or a wimp? You might be thinking elementary school or junior high but it also gets into young adulthood and even other places in our lives today. How many of you ever took a double dog dare? When I was three, my dad was going to Emory University. We lived in this little town in North Georgia called Kingston. And downtown Kingston had a grocery store owned by Mr. B.T. Abernathy. It was one of them old grocery stores where they had those, those uh, counters on the floor, and they were big and wide, and you could stack a bunch of stuff in there. And, and it was also a, a comfortable place because Mr. B.T. had one of those heaters, gas heaters that you lit with a match and turned on. The, some of y'all know what I'm talking about. It was before central heating and air. Lily and I were in there on a Saturday morning with my dad, and we were walking around. We saw this clear bottle. He said, I bet you won't drink that. I was three. He was four. What do you think? The next thing I knew, my dad and Mr. BT were carrying me to Rome, Georgia, to the hospital to get my stomach pumped out because I had swallowed Miss Abernathy's fingernail polish remover. Fear is a powerful thing. It's a powerful source in our life. And there's even a psychological term that describes all sorts of what I call diseases, D-I-S hyphen E-A-S-E. We say disease, but if you break it down, it has a real impact. Dis-ease. We call that dis-ease a phobia. A phobia is the fear of a particular scenario in life, circumstance, an item, or an action that causes us distress. Now, in our world of phobias and in our culture over the years, terms have emerged 
to describe situations that we deal with with fear. One is fight or flight. I had a man in my church in the Delta named Sam Bass. He said he grew up in a sawmill town in, in northeast Louisiana. He said every kid in there had to either learn how to cut, fight, or run. Sam was about this tall. He became a boxer, so he didn't run very often. Fight or flight. Another is this phrase I've heard in literature, but it's also I've seen it in movies and and culture. Discretion is the better part of valor. In other words, if you can size the situation up and walk away from it quicker than engaging it, you might be smart. And then that word that I don't know where it came from, but I just remember it. He who fights and runs away lives to fight another day. Some of us may have practiced that over the years, maybe with our spouses. Who knows? And I won't ask for a show of hands in here, I won't, about anyone who was afraid of the dark when they were little. Now, this morning in our children's message, Miss Dixie Evans said to the children that even until she got into high school, when the lights went off at her house, she'd stick her hand down by the side of the bed to scare away the monsters. One of the things I dealt with from early childhood was that my family moved. My father moved from place to place because the bishop and the Lord sent him to new churches. And I have great empathy in my life for people whose lives are like that, for our military families who've moved multiple times. I bet there are people in this room who, who your father or mother were in the military, went to five or six or eight or nine schools before you finished. Those of us who've, who've moved around with our families because of our parents' career track or to reach a certain status and level to find financial or economic satisfaction, we're a mobile society today. I can remember vividly walking into Mrs. Hildebrand's class in the third grade because the bishop had moved my father in October rather than June. The church in Vicksburg, its pastor had died, and so he moved my dad after I'd been in school six weeks in McGee. And I'll never forget walking into that classroom that morning, every eye in the room looking at you, about 10 o'clock in the morning. And then about 30 minutes later, we went to recess. Boys in the third grade at Jed Elementary School played kickball. And I stood and watched for a few days until finally somebody said, hey, you want to play? I can, I can appreciate that sense of feeling of rejection or fear of being rejection or fear of not being accepted. Now, with the events this past week in Lafayette and the last year in California or, or wherever the, in Denver where there were a movie, there were people shot in a movie theater going to watch a movie. I wonder if there are going to be people in our community, even here in Hattiesburg, who, who may not want to let their children go to the movies because of fear. Now, what are in the Scripture that for over 140 times the words do not be afraid or do not fear appear? according to my good friend who's a disciple Bible study leader, Dick Weatherholt. What is it that grips us with such intensity? What is it that keeps the door of our lives closed because of our fear? But more importantly, how can we embrace and engage life with joy and hope 
and encouragement and engagement. What does the Scripture offer us as a source of insight and assurance? And that's why I turn to John and 1 John, the Gospel of John and 1 John, two different passages of Scripture written by, we believe, the same author. The author of the letters of John address a community of faith in the, first, or the latter part of the first century. And these people have come together, they're worshiping, they're serving in the first century, but something happens. A group of people infiltrate their congregation and they start teaching untruths about who Jesus Christ is. Their world, in their world of Greek philosophy, they believed that the mind was the most important thing, that the body was of no significance, and therefore you could do anything you wanted to do to the body. God didn't make the body for great purposes. God created the mind. And so that was how they began to unpack the, the, the story of Jesus and say he couldn't be God because he was human too. It, it went against everything that, that the apostles were teaching, that Jesus was the Son of God and the Son of Man, that he was both fully human and fully divine. And what he experienced, the death on the cross, was not some mirage. It was real. He sweat drops of blood. He got pierced in the side. He died a death, and God rose Jesus from the dead and restored us. But they were teaching something different. And the threat and the fear was within the congregation, not as we often perceive in the first century of persecution from Rome. What John decided to do was to challenge these teachings and reminded them that the core words were that God, we are loved because God has first loved us. And we're to love our other, one another, brother and sister, which is a sign that God's love dwells in us when we're able to love and it's our greatest strength in overcoming the fears that confront us in our life. Verse 10 in this passage affirms that Jesus' death and resurrection bridged a gulf that fear had created. You remember in the story of Adam and Eve in the second chapter of Genesis? Remember what happens to them when they eat the fruit that God asked them not to eat? They went and hid, remember? Because they were afraid. They'd had a beautiful, wonderful, intimate relationship with God, but because they were fearful, they covered themselves in their fear and their shame. But it was God's great love through Jesus Christ that John is testifying to these first century believers who had had their world rocked by false teaching. It was critical to help those who were fearful to put their trust in the mysterious, wondrous love of God. Now, this other story that was written, read, read about John, in John's gospel, the story about Jesus who had been teaching outside the temple, in the temple courtyard. There were people gathered there, and while he was teaching, the Pharisees came in, dragging this woman. The Pharisees were the legal religious police. They knew it all. They were stooped in the, in the law. And here they come dragging this woman. I don't know if she was clothed or fully clothed or scantily clad, but they came dragging her and dropped her in the feet of Jesus for him to make a decision. John says that they had an ulterior motive in doing so. But here's Jesus in front of a group of people. Just imagine them bringing her right down here to the altar. 
and they wanted Jesus. And they reminded him that, that her circumstances were against the law. In fact, adultery was punishable by death for women, not for men. So come on, Jesus, what are you going to say? What should we do? Jesus was drawing if there was dirt or sand on the floor. He was just drawing. I've just imagined what he might have been drawing. He hardly even looked at the, uh, the, the Pharisees. He, just, he said, okay, any of you who's without sin, be my guest. Go ahead. Throw your stones. And all we hear next is the sounds of rocks making a thunk on the ground. Jesus is just drawing. And imagine him looking over and saying, so, where are your accusers now? Who's here to judge you? And she said, no one. He said, neither do I. And the scripture says, it says, go and sin no more. My friends, if you don't hear anything else today from me, hear this. Love, God's love, is fear's nemesis. Jesus has come that we need not fear this life of ours. Oh, yes, there's, there's smart, practical reasons not to put yourself in, in situations. If you walk up and see a sign that says, beware a dog, I wouldn't open the gate, would you? But I'm talking more about the spiritual, relational circumstances that we live in each week and each day. And when life creates hardship and difficulty and pain and suffering, Love is a present. God's love is present for us. I love what Charles Wesley wrote a long time ago. It's one of my favorite Wesley hymns. Some of you who are new to the church may not know who Mr. Wesley is. But it says, Jesus, the name that charms our fears, that bids our sorrows cease. Tis music in the sinner's ear. Tis life and health and peace. You see, that's what Sully learned in the movie. He believed his only goal in life was to instill fear in the children so they could be manipulated for other people's gain. It's a form of slavery to Sully, much like the human trafficking form of slavery is in our culture today. But Boo's childlike love for Sully transformed his life. You see, love does win. Fear can grip us tightly, and it can hold us hostage if we allow it. But, go, but when God's love engages and is embraced, it can bring us a street, strength to face our circumstances with confidence and commitment. I want you to see what happens to Sully in the very end. Mike Wadowski brings him a piece of door. It's, it was missing in the door here. And he brings it. I want, you to show, I want you to see what happens to Sully.
The factory's now being run on laughter. Kitty. Not Sully. Kitty. I don't know where you may be today. But are there fears that keep you from loving God more freely? Or loving people that you aren't real sure about? Or maybe you've had conflicts. Heck, fire, i got folks in my family like that from time to time. people that I've experienced in the church over the years. What keeps us from being open to new understandings of faith as we grow? It is God's desire and grace that we grow into maturity. That means all the time examining and re-examining Scripture and how it reads, and, and it changes over the years as we change. Are you afraid of maybe learning some things that you were taught as a kid may not be as accurate as you once believed they were? You see, one of the most common conundrums we face in in human beings is the tension between truth and loyalty. Sully finally discovered that he'd lived loyal to Monsters, Inc. because it gave him status and security. But the love of a little girl who had no guile in her showed him the truth and a new way to live life. It's far easier to hold on to unhealthy patterns of life and familiarity than it is to let go and live loved. It's easier to sail in the harbor of life than it is to set sail out on the adventure on the deep water. I hope today that you will take the door of your closet's heart and keep it open. Because you never know what might walk through as a new opportunity and a new experience that will reach and take you to new heights of joy. Don't stay locked up behind it. Open yourself up to God's grace and strength and let His Love, do what the old hymn says, because when we get down, when we get fearful and we allow God to come to us, it reminds me of that old hymn. Some of you know, 
Love lifted me. Love lifted me. When nothing else could help, love lifted me. That's my prayer for you today. That you will embrace God's love. And whatever fears you face, He will see you through it. In the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit, let us pray. Oh God, we give you thanks that the power of your love in our lives can help us meet challenges, that you'll give us wisdom, that you'll help us not place ourselves in circumstances of folly, but but when we engage challenge and fear comes upon us of the unknown and the uncertainty, that we will turn to you and find strength. In the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit, Amen.